Hello and welcome to the Thriving Families podcast. I'm Anna and this is the podcast which aims to provide a safe and non-judgmental space for us to be able to talk about children and young people with additional support needs. Thriving Families and I are based in the Highlands of Scotland and we're hoping to connect people to support us in feeling less isolated and being able to recognise that you're not the only one. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me. Today's episode, I am going to be talking about sleep. Now, this is definitely a topic that has been mentioned to me by quite a lot of people, um, and I would like to talk about it from two perspectives. So, I think it's been mentioned to me as a topic for a podcast because a lot of um, parents and carers and families struggle around the issue of sleep, especially with young people with additional support needs. However, I want to come at it not just from that perspective, but actually thinking about sleep from the perspective as a parent or carer, as well as the child and young person. You know, sleep is a big area of challenge, I suppose, for a lot of adults and children. You know, irrelevant whether or not you have children with additional support needs. It's a bit like dinner time and food. It's one of those topics that impacts everybody's lives. Um, Significantly, there is an impact when you have a child or a young person with additional support needs because there can be some specific issues related to their needs that make sleep more of a challenge. So if I think about it generally first, okay, so the impact of sleep deprivation, okay, we all know what it's like when you get a bad night's sleep. I think most of us can probably remember um, times in our lives when we've had a difficult time when we've not been able to sleep properly. Now, the one night or two nights of difficult sleep is something we can recover from. You know, we get a bad night's sleep and we're tired the next day, we're fatigued. Um, we can have a bit of a short temper, we might be a little bit irritable, um, and we can kind of struggle to focus. But generally we go back and you catch up on that sleep and you, you you move on. And I think age has a big thing to do with it as well. I know from a personal perspective, when I was younger, yeah, I could, you know, have a late night and get less sleep and still manage to go up and go to work. Okay. And, and you function differently. But as you age and when you become a parent, all of these things start to change. And sleep deprivation on a regular basis can have a a really challenging long-term effect, both for an adult who is a parent or carer, um, and both for the child or the children with additional support needs. So sleep deprivation long-term is difficult for any person, but when we're thinking about it in this perspective of a family who are already having struggles because of needs, then there is maybe even more of an impact on day-to-day life. So someone who is suffering from sleep deprivation, now I'm going to think about this as a parent's perspective, a carer's perspective, okay, Um, you know, the, the basic facts are that someone who has had lack of sleep consistently um, is putting themselves, you know, into a perspective where their um, mental well-being is going to be challenging, you know, you're going to get things that we might call like foggy brain, you know, because it happens with repetitive sleep loss where you find it kind of hard to concentrate Um, you can find it difficult to make decisions. Um, it's more likely people who are suffering from long-term sleep deprivation will um, suffer with anxiety, depression, 
and um, we'll be at higher risk of accidents and injuries because you, you you're just disorientated sometimes and you know and there are some serious medical long-term effects people tend to suffer more with obesity because we tend to go to food to try and get more energy because we're tired um heart disease is higher in people who suffer from sleep deprivation high blood pressure um diabetes because the way our body processes our glucose is different as we sleep and so without sleep your inability to do that puts you at higher risk of diabetes mood swings these are long-term consequences that can happen from someone having long-term sleep deprivation now if you are a parent or a carer of a child with additional support needs who is having difficulty sleeping your sleep is also impacted and so what we we can find for families is that we're going to have real struggles relating to sleep. What I suppose, what is healthy sleep? What does it look like when someone is healthily sleeping? You know, why do we need sleep? There's a bit of a joke in my house that, um, oh, we don't need sleep in this house. Okay, because sleep is an issue in this house from um, one of my children's perspective. So it becomes a type of joke that sleep's just waste of time. I don't want to go to sleep. Um, and so we have to talk about in our household, you know, why we need sleep. Okay. Um, and I suppose as an adult, there's lots of things we can say why a human needs sleep. Okay. And I suppose that's the kind of what we try to go down that perspective of. So, you know, there are all of, you know, there's lots of research out there that can give you kind of times, you know, the National Sleep Foundation says that, you know, as a a toddler at the age of maybe up to about two, um, so not a baby, a toddler between ages one and two needs 11 to 14 hours of sleep. A preschool child of three to four maybe needs 10 to 13 hours of sleep. Uh, primary school age six to 13, nine to 11. Teenagers, eight to 10 hours. Um, young adult, seven to nine hours. An adult between seven to nine hours. You know, so, but everybody is different. And I think one of the big things about this is we can look at tables that tell us how much sleep we should have or what bedtime should be. But essentially, you need to learn, I suppose, as you grow to listen to your body and know what sleep you need. Um, and that, uh, you know, that's what I personally try to do, as well as trying to take on good advice of recognizing that actually, you know, if I know that an adult needs an average of eight hours of sleep. If I'm having three hours of sleep, then that's clearly out of all, you know, it's not working. <laughs> There's going to be an issue. Okay, so sleep essentially boosts our immunity system. So it helps keep us healthy when we're able to sleep. And it does give us a better sense of mental well-being. It keeps our heart rate um healthy. And so, you know, it decreases risks of things like heart disease. Um, as an adult, better sleep generally increases your fertility. Um, it can increase your um, your sex drive. Um, it can help you have a better diet and it helps your weight keep more stable because when your body sleeps, um, it can create better chemical balances of things like leptin, which helps you feel fuller. So if you don't have enough sleep, you tend to feel hungrier. Um, and I think we all know what it's like if you've had a really bad night's sleep, you do tend to um, overeat. Yeah, I, I think that's something that I do if I've not had a bad night. If I've had, if I'm struggling from a few bad nights of sleep, I will tend to curl up on the sofa after I've finally got the kids to sleep and stuff my face. That's quite a regular occurrence, I suppose. And learning to manage that by realizing actually I don't need to eat. I just need to go and try and get some sleep. So there are 
you know, we need sleep to function as a healthy human being. And trying to explain that to our children can be a challenge. Because as a parent, you are focused more on the child's sleep generally um, than I think on our own sleep, because that's generally what parents and carers do. They put the needs of their children above themselves. So as an adult, as a parent, as a carer, actually being able to recognize that you need to prioritize your own sleep is really important. If you are lucky enough to live in a household where there are maybe two of you in a partnership, um, then possibly you can do things like take it in turns to ensure that you're getting your levels of sleep healthily, and that can help. Um, yeah, I'm really lucky. I've got my husband here and we do tend to rotate um, who's kind of on sleep duty. So who's the one who's going to go up through the night if there's an issue? Who's the one that's going to, you know, take one for the team? And we tend to rotate it so that we can try and get um, enough sleep between ourselves. Yep. Single parent families don't always have that chance. Okay. So it is a, it's a challenge, but it's one of those things you can do if you're in that situation. The other concept is to, you know, is to know when to go to bed. Like I said before, you know, I need to not sit on the sofa and stuff my face. I need to go to bed. And I do think if you are trying to catch up on sleep, that is one of the things that's advised. You know, try to add an extra hour on before you go to bed. So, you know, if you were thinking, oh, I'm just going to do this for an hour. No, just go and sleep. Let your body get into um, the state it needs to be in too. So, you know, Having regular times that you go to bed, you know, there's all sorts of apps. I've got one on my phone and it tings at quarter to ten to tell me that's my bedtime wind down time. Um, I generally moan at it, but it's there and it's a good reminder for me that sleep is really important. And there are all the things that, you know, we may say that we might try with our children that I'll go on to talk about, which actually is good advice to maybe think about ourselves as well. So the reducing screen time before beds, avoiding caffeine and energy drinks, um, you know, wind down time. So a calm time, whether that's some sort of relaxation, books, reading, music, whatever it is that helps you get into that kind of wind down position and ensuring that you know you're um in a dark that you're in a kind of darkened quiet space that it's cozy for bedtime that your environment is healthy you know and again I'm lucky enough to have a home with my own bedroom and I know that in situations people don't always have a room to themselves maybe they're sharing they don't have that kind of environmental space and these things can really impact so we found recently that one thing that helps me and helps all of us trying to sleep in our house is trying to go for a walk, um, you know, in our kind of wind down time. So we tend to, you know, last night we walked in the rain around the village um, and <laughs> we look like the crazy family walking around the village in the rain when it's getting dark at this time of year. But actually we are finding that if we look at sleep patterns for ourselves and our children, that that does help us wind down more than maybe some other things. So as a parent and a carer, it is really, really important to try and think about your own personal sleep as well as that of your children. However, I know that most people that have given this topic to me or recommended me to do this topic are thinking about their own children. So a lack of sleep in a child or a young person, irrelevant, I suppose, of what their additional supports might be, okay, um, will impact if they have sleep deprivation on their behaviour, their ability to be more impulsive, mood swings, um, accidents and injuries tend to happen more when, when we're tired, 
um, a young person's mental memory, concentration, ability to learn, it all decreases. You would say that it's, you know, a, a lack of performance, not being able to perform normal everyday duties to the same potential that you could do if your child or young person doesn't have enough sleep. They tend to have slow reaction times, you know, that kind of constant you know, instructions, following instructions become difficult, so that getting started. Overeating is also another um, side effect of children and young people who are suffering from lack of sleep. Same as an adult, they're seeking that energy, they're seeking something their body thinks that food may help keep them awake. So, you know, these, you can imagine if a young person is struggling with the lack of sleep, that these affect their everyday existence, you know, just trying to maybe um, go to school and learn is going to be more difficult if you're tired or you're fatigued, remembering what, what you have to do today, remembering if you've had to take homework in, if you're at high school, or remembering the instructions that were just given to you by the teacher, and feeling moody, getting into trouble because that's attitude, you know, these are all things that our kids will suffer from if they suffer from sleep deprivation. So it is really important that we try and think about what the issue is that's stopping them from sleeping and how can we help. So what does sleep difficulty look like? And I suppose it's going to be different and for everybody and every household and it will depend on your family structure and the needs of your child or young person so what I'm giving are some kind of general kind of ideas of what sleep deprivation may look like but obviously every family is different so it suppose the things that it might look like traditionally is an ability to not be able to fall asleep so that kind of beginning bit that of sleep gets really hard you get into bed but child feeling like they just cannot get to sleep and there may be um, a really broken sleep and restless sleep. Um, and this can be all sorts of natural occurrences, but it also may be because there is medical needs um, that have to be addressed or things that make it difficult for somebody to sleep. Maybe somebody has to be turned through the night. Maybe they suffer with really bad eczema and so it becomes really itchy. So there is a series of different reasons that might be that sleep is broken. And that could be naturally, but it also could be because of the needs of the child. Um, and that's where it's unique to every single person. Um, sometimes sleep can be difficult because people are sleeping during the day. Sleep apnea can be a cause of it. So an inability to then um, go to sleep properly because your body is kind of confused in its body clock. We could have um, breathing difficulties through the night. We could have snoring excessively. We could have head banging. Um, bed wetting, um, teeth grinding, sleepwalking, night terrors. There's all sorts of different things that may appear that makes it difficult for people to sleep or may be causing challenges in sleep. And all of these things are impacting upon a young person. And there is a higher level of these kinds of issues in children with additional support needs. So if we think about... Um, last podcast was on ADHD and 50% of children generally with ADHD really struggle to sleep. Um, many children and young people on the autistic spectrum tend to have a lower level, sorry, lower level of melatonin. So that can make them struggle to become tired and sleepy and feel that able to get into that sensation to be able to relax and go to sleep. And as I said before, medical needs you know, may make it really difficult as well. Pain management, for instance, might need to happen through the night. 
So it's really important that we promote that sleep is essential and it's healthy and it's really needed for all children. But we need to be more aware for young people with additional support needs that how we prepare them for sleep really needs to relate to their needs. So calm time and winding down time um, needs to be specific to those needs in a way that meets whatever their needs need their needs needs there's lots of needs here sorry guys um so a sleep journal can be really helpful so that's one of the first places that i'm kind of saying what can help is knowing what's going on with the situation okay so a sleep journal can really help so that you can actually work out what it is is it regularly not sleeping has there been stuff happening through the day is it always at the same time um, and that can just help understand what's going on so that you know that's information that you can share with your gp if you're really concerned or whoever it is you're kind of working with and can help people um, kind of look at the root of the problem and try to support each other. So if we think about all the things that help and loads of these are going to be things that I know loads and loads of families will do and may have tried and it works one night and not the next night but I'm going to share because these are things that I've learned over the years that people have shared with me and so you know sometimes it might help. So having a bedtime routine, that tends to be, you know, everywhere you look, it's about having that routine um, and trying to keep that routine consistent. So it's not just a bedtime, it's a waking up time. So your body is programming itself to kind of recognize when it's time to sleep. Um, making that routine include, and they generally say about an hour, um, a kind of relaxing routine. And this is good for anybody as an adult or as a child where, you know, whatever it is you choose to do, a very, maybe it's a warm bath, maybe it's, um, a story time after a bath, and um, maybe it's some sensory input. So, you know, whether that's a little bit of yoga or a little bit of a massage, whatever it is that is relevant for your child. Um, avoiding caffeine six hours before so you know all different sorts of things and um, little things like um, black currant has um, tends to have some additives in it which can help make it difficult to sleep so not having black currant juice with dinner if your kid likes black currant juice have it for lunch and um, so I suppose it's little things like that which is trying things out to see what's help helping a young person go to bed when they're tired because of a routine and not leaving them to just be exhausted and collapse on the sofa you know trying to make healthy habits um no screens an hour before bed you know it's always advice that we hear we know we sometimes be like oh nobody's going to get it right every night and maybe there's just a night where everybody is just watching a family movie and then going straight to bed but it's a you know if you're struggling with sleep these are things to try creating a kind of quiet and relaxing time before bed so for example as I said before, me and my husband take it in turns for bedtime. So we have two children, so we take it in turns to put them to bed. And what we try to do is do a quiet activity, whether it's after bath, before bed. We well, not bath every night, but so it might be a, like playing guess who. I think I've mentioned that before. Snakes and ladders, doing a jigsaw puzzle, um, <laughs> trying to avoid excitable games like snap because then we can get a little bit OTT. Um, so drawing a picture together, a little mini Lego challenge, but it's kind of working out whatever's appropriate for your young person. But doing some time together, we find it really helpful to have one-to-one before bed in the child's room so it's in a safe space um, and that generally is generally kind of helpful. Um, there are other things that work for us such as um, stretching 
and stroking. Um, my son likes quite a lot of sensory input, so that can really help keep him calm and put him into a calmer place, and that can quite help. My daughter's similar, but again, it's physical, um, needing to know that there's somebody connected and right to you and she likes to maybe fiddle with hair or something. So it's working out what helps for them, what is their routine. And the dark is really helpful. You know, as much as, you know, it can be a real challenge, can't it? We're afraid of the dark. Okay. Oh, it's scary. It's fear. I know for a lot of kids like mine, going to sleep is scary. It's the anxiety and the fear of um, what what could happen through the night. And so helping them to realize that they're in a safe place. We talk about that all the time. It's probably some of the last words I say as we've done the bedtime routine. You're in your bed, mom and dad are here, you're safe, you're home and trying to reassure that. So and then I turn the lights off. <laughs> so that can then bring that fear back. So night lights are really good, aren't they? You can get all sorts of different projector lights. We have the little reflective stars on the ceiling. Um, and, and it's again, it's what works for you. But I do find that the dark is a lot easier with some support in there. There are really cool things you can do like um, glow sticks and different kind of things that can light up. And there are really cool laser lights now, aren't they? So there's lots of kind of helps to support that. And it is working what what is work for them. Um, I suppose other things that advice says, and, you know, it's, it's different. You know, people say, oh, don't get into bed with them. You know, you have to... Um, try and avoid that, try and avoid full, letting them fall asleep on you. There is all these kind of things which I think there's a lot of debate about and a lot of discussion about and it, I think it depends on the individual and the child and what it is that is making it difficult for them to go to sleep. But creating some sort of routine that works for them and some sort of environment that works for them is what I think is key for every child and young person. We use a weighted blanket, works sometimes, doesn't work other times. And um, the tucked in sheets so they physically feel safe in bed. I mean, there's there's lots of things that you can try. We've tried den make, like kind of making a den within the beds. So that sometimes helps. Um, and, you know, it is about seeing what is appropriate and what can help. Um, we always have milk and toast generally before bed, you know, avoiding any sugary snacks for sure. Um you know, keeping them so there's some stuff, you know, the toast is really good or cereal's really good because it just keeps them going through the night. Um, and hopefully all of that situation helps them adjust and helps your body to understand that it's time to go to sleep. But there are times when it just won't work, yeah? And, and some of the issues maybe that we face are things like, you know, my son has dealt quite a lot with nightmares and sleepwalking and it is definitely decreasing but, you know, we had to think about ways in which to control the nightmares and the sleepwalking and you have to prevent things. You have to look at it in a way of safety. So we would prevent by we're really open. We talk openly at home a lot about fears and anxiety and what scares us and try to talk about things so that it's not left in his head for going to bed. Okay, and my daughter's really good at getting there and talking about that too. And I hope the more we process and we think about as a family our, our fears and our anxieties, the less likely they are to happen during nighttime when they're sleeping. There are also really practical things that we've had to do. So uh, there are times when I know there's more likely to be um, sleepwalking, such as periods of time like there are certain times of the year when my son gets a little bit more anxious and we have to be really safe. We have to make sure the front door is locked. 
Um, we're getting over these things now, but this was something years ago that we had to be more apparent of, um, making sure that windows and doors were locked um, and making sure that there's a safe path from his bed out so, you know, he's not falling on toys, you know, because our sore feet, Lego, waking up in the middle of a night terror or sleepwalking can be quite you know really even more upsetting to the situation so trying to keep them safe by clearing the bedroom floor it's another point is always to try and keep a clear route to the toilet okay especially if you know your child gets up in the night so um there are things you can do you could have dream catchers to explain that they can catch bad dreams you know it's what your child is responsive to a teddy who's their protector so some sort of comforter um, and, and just trying to be aware of it. You can get little door monitors now that you can put over your door. You actually get little digital ones that can go off, but you might have a um, a child monitor on, um, but you might just have a jingly bell that might ring that can, you know, would wake you up. So it is kind of knowing what the situation is, but it can be really quite scary. I remember um, a few years ago, and I think it was a few years ago, going in and and seeing my son just almost spinning in his room. And I was almost shocked at first, like, what's going on? And then the realisation that he was asleep and it, it was obviously some part of a nightmare or a night terror. Um, and so it can be quite scary, but, you know, I think just as when you put your child to bed, you, you just need to stay calm and you need to stay in that calm situation to be able to help them stay safe and then be able to guide them back to bed safely. It is a is a little bit like when you are really I suppose when a, a toddler maybe goes to start to sleep in their own bed and that kind of gradual withdrawal that you will do to create that safe space so you know this technique of how you might initially you know hold their hand and stroke their face or whatever as they're in bed and then maybe they feel safe enough doing that so you might move away from the bed and I'm talking maybe a few days later and then moving further away in the room but still being in the room so they know you're there so they feel safe and then you might move to walking outside staying out by the door or going outside the room you know it's a, a process over days not just one of those evenings where you've put the baby in the cot and you're crawling out like an, an army crawl to try and not wake them up okay we've all done that Okay, so, um, you know, it is working about what's right for your child in that situation. You know, it's maybe, as a toddler, you're trying to cut down, I suppose. You feel the pressure to cut down, don't give them too much milk, otherwise they're not going to eat enough solid food at night. Or should I be taking their dummy off them because it could cause problems with speech in the future? You know, and you have to look at your child and see what is their needs, speak to your health visitor, your GP, if you've got any issues with these things, but you're trying to work out what's best for your child in that situation. And their needs might mean that you need this right now. And that's kind of a whatever is relevant to your young person or child. And if they have an additional support need, that might change the situation to what we think the average is. Okay, so you know, co-sleeping might be really important or really key for your child at that point in time because they need to know that safety. They're building an attachment and maybe it's a big priority, but you're going to need support if you're then going to transition them to sleep in their own bed or in their own room and recognising how you can do that and whether it be um, the comfort objects, whatever it is that you're transitioning them to, you need to do it in a prepared way. You can't just expect a child to suddenly be able to sleep in their own bed if you've been co-sleeping so 
it's as a parent, as a carer, being that calm person, um, you know, like when you've put them to bed and you're trying to be that calm person and if they keep getting out of bed, which happens frequently in my house quite often, we go through spells, um, it's staying calm, not speaking, staying quiet, keeping the lights off and just guiding them back to bed. That can be difficult after a full hardcore full-on day you can struggle as a parent or as a carer to keep your calm because at this point you may be tired too yeah and maybe you're trying to get the ironing done and wash the dishes and it gets frustrating but we have to remember to just take a breath (laughs) and try again so it's a real challenge it is sleep is a difficult time um, there are other issues that maybe make sleep difficult. Bedwetting has become, you know, can be a really distressing thing to deal with, you know, especially if it's something that continues to when the child is getting older and maybe it's happening and they were dry for quite a long time. And so there's always going to be, you know, maybe there's medical reasons it might happening, but also coming up due to stress and anxiety or experiences of trauma. And so it's about trying to support them appropriately within that. You know, and there are things to avoid doing. So restricting drinks isn't helpful because actually when a child is, you know, wetting the bed, generally it's because their bladder and their brain aren't communicating properly. So actually drinking lots during the day can help a young person's brain and bladder to increase communication. And so hopefully that then will transfer to happening at night time. You know, having just really practical reasons to, you know, help them talk openly about their fears, if it's some sort of hidden fear which is causing the bedwetting, then they need to know there's a safe environment to talk about those fears, even if they're, it's not really conscious at the moment, just them knowing. You know, really practical things, making sure we go to the toilet before bed, having a mattress pr- protector so that if it does happen, it's not too much of an issue. They know there's a routine. We can clean up and we can get back to bed. Okay, so being supportive. There are other things like a, a good high fiber diet can help um, avoid issues of constipation, which might kind of make bedwetting more likely. Um, and, you know, avoiding all the sugary drinks. And like I said before, black currant tends to be a stimulant um, for the bladder. So it can be something that makes you need to go to the toilet more so it can wake you up more. Um, keeping a diary of um, sleep diary, a diary of drinks and toileting, just to try and again pick up on, is there something here? Is there a medical issue that's related to this? Or is it something with stress and anxiety? Is there a trigger? So needing to be able to um, know what it is. Um, And I think a really important thing for me to do with toileting and bedtime is making sure a child realises that they're allowed to get out of bed. Now, if you are a foster parent, then you may have experienced um, this where sometimes a child feels like they can't get out of their bed, maybe because there's some sort of adverse experience that they've experienced in the previous life so allowing your child to know they're safe and if they need the toilet they can get up out of bed and they can go to the toilet make sure there's a safe way to get to the toilet make sure there's some sort of light that makes it safe that there's not things all over the floor so just those practical things can help okay in a situation the other one that I always find really interesting is the head banging and the rocking and the head rolling because I remember um, friends years ago talking about the child who was headbanging against the cot and finding it really distressing and thinking oh but actually me personally like years ago realizing that oh it's actually quite a common thing and it's about the child learning to self-soothe and this might not be the way we choose to self-soothe but this is the way the child is and you know it's quite a 
you don't want, nobody wants to see their own child be hurt. And so it can be quite upsetting to watch your child if they're um, self-soothing in a way to us that seems quite aggressive or hurtful. Um, and most kids do grow out of headbanging generally, you know, um, once they reach kind of preschool age, they tend to outgrow it. But again, it's about that safety. It's about accepting that they need some sort of sensory input. They're banging for that sensory need. So stroking can be really helpful. You know, my mom always used to stroke our <laughs> faces and say this thing called shten, shten. And, and I unconsciously do that with my kids. And <laughs> so does other people in my family. And actually it's a really, it's a sensory sound and it's a sensory feeling. Um, and me and my sister realised that we could trick our children to hearing the other one because we did the same thing to comfort our children at bedtime. Um, you know, all the ways of having a sensory need can be that that blanket or something that they have in bed. It might even be smell. So maybe it's a t-shirt with the sense with the smell of a parent on it. You know, whatever it is that they need. I know making sure there's a safe situation so um you can you know, check the stability of the cot of if they're headbanging in a cot, checking it's stable. You can move it away from the wall. So there's the practical idea that it's not actually going to be banging constantly. Um, and recognizing that you should only use padding with an older child because it's not it's not necessarily safe for um a, a baby. Okay, so be looking into that and realizing this is what I need and this is what's safest for my child. So there are you know issues that can make it a challenge. Okay, and you know, there are things that, you know, you need to speak through with GPs and health visitors and um, pediatricians, whoever is your support network and realizing that actually my child is struggling with sleep and we need to think about the cause of what it is. But what can I do as a parent and a carer to help make it a little bit easier? Okay, and just to support them. And I think it's look after yourself so you can look after them making sure your role modeling sleeping is really helpful you know making sure that you are able to kind of get yourself sleepy and be able to look after yourself and then you are in a better position to help them you know we're we tend to be more functional as adults if we have enough sleep and the realization that we need to help facilitate that for our children and young people is really important so any sleep tips then please send them to me because you know I may be there at bedtime tonight struggling to get them to sleep but I'm going to try and listen to my own advice and stick to the routine we have in place and create that calm time and that quiet time and, and try to make that time a really nice time you know not on my phone looking at irrelevant social media that I don't need to and we're focusing and we're playing a game and we're you know, we're talking to each other or making eye contact, you know, that quiet time before bed is really, it's about human connection. And that can help a child or a young person feel safe. And once someone feels safe, it is more likely to help them get to sleep. So I know it's a big topic and there's so much that is out there. So please go and look. There's all sorts of different sites that you can look up. The Sleep Found National Sleep Foundation, there's Sleep Scotland. Talk to a GP if there's an issue. Yeah, please. Sleep is really important for us all. So I hope you have a good night's sleep. Good night. <laughs> Thanks for listening today. And remember, you can find us at www.thrivingfamilies.org.uk and you can also follow us and find out any updates on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.